This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE Intellinews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Welcome to Windows on the East with me, Ben Aris, the Editor-in-Chief of BNE Intellinews. I'm joined today by Mark Galliotti, who's a Senior Fellow at the Institute of International Relations in Prague. This weekend, Russians go to the polls to vote for a new Duma, with a result that's widely seen as a foregone conclusion. But what is the significance of the Russian parliamentary elections? So, Mark, this weekend, um, they've been described as the most boring elections ever, but crucial nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, I think, obviously, from from a wonk's perspective, these things are, are always interesting. I think to understand why they're significant, you've got to understand the point of Russian elections. And the point is, of course, not to decide the complexion of the government. There is no question but that Putin's United Russia bloc is going to be overwhelmingly dominant. Um, the folk, fake opposition parties of the communists, the liberal democrats and just Russia will be sort of jostling for the, the scraps on the electoral table. And it'll be interesting to see the order in which they, they, they come out. Um, but no, that's, that's not, not the issue. The issue is in some ways that this represents one of the tests um, of public support. And I stress that, support, not opinion. Most people, they, it's not as if they want to see the communists in charge or the liberal democrats or whatever. But on the other hand, if they don't bother voting, if they don't feel the enthusiasm, then that is saying something about their mood. And if the government has to basically spend a lot of effort massaging the results to eventually be able to produce the whatever it is they've decided because let's be honest the decisions have been you know the 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 results have been decided already if they have to spend a lot of effort getting that it says something about the mood of the country and that might well impact uh putin's future trajectory and indeed how people feel about the putin regime putin does pay attention i mean that was the the marked thing about putin he was the first one who actually have paid attention to public opinion. And he has very carefully crafted this public image, you know, to the extent where, you know, he does judo, plays ice hockey, he flies around in in, uh, in planes and crashes into cranes and things. But the whole thing is, is to develop this sort of image of the Russian mujik, this sort of real man, which looks a bit laughable to us in the West, but it goes down extremely well with, with uh, his core voters, the blue-collar voters. But isn't, isn't this the irony? Because everyone's written this elections off as um, a farce, a fix, because United Russia's going to walk it. However, there is an element, and it's an element of real democracy in the sense that the Kremlin does have to genuinely get about half the votes for United Russia, to, for, and their legitimacy is, is based on that. But what the, the fixing's all about is cross, crossing these thresholds, these key thresholds, And in 2007, it was about getting 66% of the vote so that they had a constitutional majority because Putin was going to be prime minister. And that was his failsafe against Medvedev as president being able to sack him so he could change the constitution and take power that way. And then thereafter, it's been 50% so that they get, you know, United Russia gets a clear majority of the seats. And isn't isn't that what the game's all about? They, They have to fiddle with the results to get past these thresholds, but it's all about, you know, retaining power. Um, nevertheless, it's based on their need to genuine to get genuine votes from the people. 
Yeah, to an extent. I mean, if we think of the last elections, actually, United Russia got just under 50%. And to be honest, it seems highly unlikely that they're going to do that well this time. I mean, the last Levada poll was giving them 31% before, obviously. <laughs> that was obviously a big mistake, considering that the Levada centre was then declared a foreign agent. Yeah. yeah. But even Vitsiom, which is the other sort of main polling agency, and one that tends to be, shall I say, rather more Kremlin-friendly, um, has been giving it 39% up to sort of 41 and a half percent and so forth. So, you know, United Russia is clearly going to take a bit of a hit, but it's, obviously it's going to be the dominant party. So and because clear, though, the, yeah. that 31%, 39%, um, because of the proportional system where it, the votes are redistributed from those parties that don't clear the 5% threshold, that 35%, the experts think, is enough to deliver you half the seats in the Duma. Well, I was going to say, I mean, the thing is, exactly, this time that they've arranged it, not at least also with, with single mandate constituencies, and there's a limit to how far we want to go into the deep electoral technologies. So, yeah, all they really need is 35% to be able to have a, a majority. So the question is not going to be who's going to be running the country, I mean, as if that was ever the question. For me, the big issue is turnout, mm. um, because that, that is crucial. Um, and the interesting thing is that that is something that, you know, we're already beginning to see some sort of concern about. I mean, actually, the last two Duma elections, the previous one was, was the turnout was just over 60%. The one before that was over 63%. Very respectable by Western standards, the last US midterms, 36.4%. But nonetheless, again, if the point of these elections is to be a legitimating ritual, a sign that the country is, is supportive, they need to be able to at least claim a decent turnout. And Ironically enough, I think the very measures that the Kremlin imposed to actually try and ensure no rerun of, of, of previous kind of crises actually is going to count against them. First of all, they decided to move the elections forward into September because precisely they thought, look, this is a time when most people are not beginning to be thinking about voting and people are less sort of likely to turn out when they were worried about the results rather than the turnout. And I think they realized that was a mistake. Secondly, there's now um, webcams in polling stations. Mm -hmm. um, now, the thing is, you see 100 people go in, 100 people cast their vote. If you control the actual counting of the vote, you can, you can say that a certain, you know, a sufficient number of them voted for United Russia, whatever the reality is. But on the other hand, it's much, much harder to actually manufacture um, you know, sudden flurries of people going into the, in, 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 into the, the, the voting booths. And there's only so far you can so much you can do with claiming a few technical errors and such like so it's actually going to be quite tough for the for the kremlin to manufacture turnout um and if they if turnout shrinks then although united russia is going to win and although the kremlin is going to call this a mandate for or the likely austerity measures that we're going to see in the autumn, nonetheless, it, you know, it, the government is going to take a hit. It cannot help but look weaker if it doesn't have quite a solid a backing there. So how does that, I mean, because obviously 2011 we had demonstrations after the last Duma elections because, uh, because of the fixing. Um, to what extent is the legitimacy... Uh, undermined if there's uh, a turnout, will that result in in street demonstrations again? No, I'm I really don't don't see any sign of of, of street protests of, of that kind. Mainly because uh, people have to feel optimistic. People have to feel that there's a reason to go out on the streets. Um, 
on the one hand, the Kremlin has done a lot to basically build up a kind of a low-level sense that that actually would be dangerous. Witness the creation of the National Guard and the fact that they, they've put this brand new security force under Zolotov, Putin hardcore loyalist, and someone who's known as a, 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 as a pretty maximalist well, kind of guy. Well, on top of this as well is the chaos that's been caused in uh, Ukraine. I mean, the Russians, of course, watched the whole Maidan, Euromaidan process closely. And the people I talk to in Moscow, um, the ones who are protesting tend to be middle-aged, tend to have sort of successful careers or, or small businesses. And they're looking at Maidan and they're saying, we want change too, but not like that. We're not going to go down that road. So there, there's this sort of self-limiting uh, factor amongst Russians about taking to the streets. But they don't have an alternative. I mean, these elections are it. Um, and there hasn't been an organized boycott the vote movement has it amongst the opposition no one's been suggesting that it's just no and again i think that that also suggests something it says something about the opposition i mean it's it's been pretty sad and shabby actually the way the opposition for years has been completely unable to actually get its act together and, and, and combine and therefore is as often as not just simply splitting the vote between them yeah can the sense of people have said that, you know of course the state controls all the media tv in particular which is by far the most influential uh, and that haven't allowed any uh, opposition figures to rise and the ones that have been in the press, Navalny and Kasyanov um, in particular, Navalny's been sort of convicted on what we assume is a trumped-up charge uh, and is ineligible for office now. And Kasyanov got caught up in that sex tape scandal and was very effectively discredited. But there's also an element, it's not just that they've been held back, but that the opposition themselves have been spectacularly unsuccessful at doing anything, haven't they? I mean, the whole collapse of the Parnas coalition is is uh, is evidence of that that was the big hope that all the opposition company uh, parties would come together and they've just you know fallen to pieces fragmented in in a in a in a hailstorm of of recrimination and and what have you and haven't been able to turn and face putin yeah that's exactly the case and and i think that um in, in some cases, it's because of the egos of, of, of figures involved. In some cases, it's because people haven't yet kind of internalized the sense that, look, getting rid of Putin is the prerequisite for anything else. Um, and actually, therefore, sort of unity, even on less than ideal conditions, um, is better. I mean, and thirdly, I think, again... There is that old quote about academic politics being so vicious precisely because there's so little at stake. Well, I think there's an element in which actually, even if no one will admit it, even within the Russian opposition, there is a sense that they, a, a defeatism that says, well, given that we're not going to win anyway, we might as well actually prosecute our petty feuds rather than actually think in terms of the big picture. But whatever it is, it, it does absolutely mean that not only has the opposition look fragmented and obviously the when it those very rare occasions where it does actually get discussed in, in, in the, the mass media, the electronic mass media, that gets highlighted. But it's also that it has absolutely failed to do the one most important thing, which is to build some kind of political machine. The people who can go and do the, all the boring legwork, which you doubly need to do when you are locked out of the TV media. Um, and still, the irony is that it's, it's a communist party that... It's the only organization that actually has any kind of an independent nationwide political machine. Um, and it's quite interesting actually seeing even within the Communist Party that there is a sort of a strain between a, a new generation of communists who actually do want to see some kind of change and the old leadership, Zugan 
Snob and so forth, who have become perfectly house-trained and are happy with their position as fake opposition leaders. And this is a big disappointment. If you look at a country like Poland, you know, in the early 90s, it was the former Soviet, uh, sorry, former Communist Party, the Socialists, that, that managed to re-engineer themselves. But the criticism of the, you know, the KPRF, the, the Communist Party in Russia, is that all of the capable people in the Communist Soviet regime moved into what is now the Kremlin in power, and all the second-tier people stayed in the old unreformed Communist Party. Um, and they've totally failed to, to modernise their message. But they, they would be a gift, wouldn't they, as far as you know, getting pensioners' votes and, and middle-aged, all the, all the people who lost out by the collapse of the Soviet Union, which would have been a majority. Uh, and those people should have been a gift for, for the communists, and they totally failed to take up that opportunity. Well, yeah, because basically it's not actually that the communist leadership really wants to make some kind of serious challenge to the Kremlin. I mean, that is the point, that there are all kinds of options they've had. And frankly, there have been opportunities in, in, in the past decade. But basically, Zyuganov and, and, and most of his, his, his fellows accepted their, their, their very comfortable role. This is why it was, I mean, but it's quite interesting about this issue of the internal pressures. If you look at the talking points that the communists had for these elections, they were completely different from past ones. Past ones were all the usual nostrums. They were always about, well, we support veterans and we support pensioners and we think Russia is a great country. Well, quite a big deal. This time, though, the talking point said, you know, make sure you raise corruption and inefficiency. Make sure you make a point of saying that it's the government that is at fault. Much, much more carnivorous. And I don't believe for a minute that Zyugano was behind it. I think precisely he's feeling the squeeze from the, a younger generation, which, I mean, one can easily caricature, particularly there's been this recent um, poster campaign, of, uh, advert campaign of theirs with sort of hipster Lenin and Stalin smoking an e-cigarette and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But actually that, that, that reflects something. I mean, you know, people I've spoken to say actually out in the provinces in particular, if you look at the Communist Party, um, it half your old-style Stalinist grannies and half 20-something and 30-somethings who are not really communist. But the point is, if you are looking, you know, if you're outside Moscow and you're looking for some kind of meaningful opposition that actually has a, has a structure and has a program and so forth, the communists are currently the only game in town. Do you think that real politics is starting to creep into Russian politics? Because... You know, the last election, um, the, the Kremlin still had plenty of money and the economy was still growing uh, and relatively strongly then. Uh, and now we're faced with a totally different scenario where the budget is insufficient. Um, they've already thrown the pensioners under the bus in the sense that they've indexed pension rises to well below inflation. And they're talking now about re raising retirement, retirement ages and they're talking about introducing a progressive tax so middle class and rich people will have to pay more tax. And because of all of this, you know, actually suddenly the, 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 the state is having to sell these ideas and um, say to the people that we're going to do these things because we have to because we're in the middle of a crisis. And, and the way they've sold that is like, you know, we're being attacked by the, by, uh, outside by the Americans in particular. So please sacrifice. And on the whole, Russians have always been willing to do that. But isn't, isn't there some real politics coming in? I mean, you're saying the communists are doing it, um, but the state itself is, is starting to talk about these, uh, these issues, which have become real policy choices. Yeah, we're seeing politics, but a different kind of politics, absolutely. I mean, from both the state and, and below. I mean, to start with 
below. I mean, what we're, all, we're definitely seeing is a rising tide of local strikes and local protests, um, all of which tend to be precisely small scale, much, much less sort of newsworthy and visible. But it is clear that pinprick pin by pinprick, this is growing. And again, I think this, this, this reflects the kind of grassroots politics that people are not expecting the Duma or even the presidency necessarily to bring the change they need. What they actually want is to get their school fixed or their local factory held kept open or, or whatever other sort of specific issue. Um, so there's that kind of grassroots politics that is actually very, very pragmatic. And the second point is, yeah, absolutely, the, the state itself is having, is having to sort of address this. And it's all very well saying that we're, we're, we're under attack from, from the, the West and Western hybrid warfare is, is, is busy sort of keeping the food from your plates and so forth. And that has some degree of traction, but, but clearly not enough. And I think, therefore, at the same time, we are seeing an attempt to begin to, to look for some kind of new legitimating narrative. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why we're seeing this current, still not dramatic, but noteworthy anti-corruption campaign. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of that can be explained by sort of turf wars over resources and everything else. But some of it, I think, is, is actually genuine. People have realized that, um, you know, corruption is one thing, but the kind of very, very visible, very, very profligate levels of corruption, coupled with extraordinary inefficiency, is no longer acceptable. But this is it. Putin is not about to declare war on his own elite. Um, he might well try and tweak the social contract. I mean, in a previous column um, in, in, in BNE, I sort of presented this as a sort of a, a motto of steal a little bit less, do your job a little bit better. Not very exciting, but nonetheless, I mean, I think it says that even the regime, a regime which up to now has been able to basically just simply engineer its own frankly, unchallenged dominance of the, of, of the political scene is now actually having to find ways of building, rebuilding its legitimacy. The polls are saying that United Russia is not going to get uh, a majority. What do you think is actually going to happen? I mean, is, is there a scenario where the Kremlin would accept United Russia getting, you know, whatever it is, you know, 45% of the seats and then having to do some power sharing deal? For example, Zhirinovsky and LDPR would, would happily fill that role and they would have just be paid to make whatever decision they're told to but is the Kremlin willing to, to, to go down that road or will they just inject as many votes as is needed in order to get over the, the 50% threshold uh, I mean it's very hard to answer that my suspicion is that what they're going to try to avoid is too much too obvious vote rigging um, so clearly, while, the, while they would, you know, they would rather nudge United Russia up to the relevant point, if they have to do a deal with, with liberal Democrats, then I think so be it. And frankly, that'll work perfectly well. Um, it's, you know, as you said, the liberal Democrats are are not going to do anything else other than than basically enjoy their their share of the limelight and vote the way they're told. And this is one of the interesting things. I mean, you know, historically the communists have always been that much stronger than the liberal Democrats, um, and yet we've now seen sort of you know, polls su suggesting that, it, that it's much much closer, or indeed the liberal Democrats might actually edge in front. If that happens, then my suspicion is, by the way, that the Kremlin is moving votes from the communists to united Russia, trying to bring the communists down in size, you know, cut them down to size before 2017, before the 100-year anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution, which inevitably they're going to be trying to make some kind of a push, even, even just for sort of prestige at that point. But yeah, I mean, I think when it comes down to it, um, managing a Duma in which the liberal Democrats are 
part of the notionally part of the government is not going to cause any problems. Um, this has always been about spectacle and about stage management rather than real politics. Surely, as far as parliamentary elections are concerned, this has got to be the last time that United Russia um, will get a majority. In so much as you know, the economy is is predicted um, to grow extremely slowly for the foreseeable future. You know, by that I'm talking about projections five, six years down the road, and that um, the government's being blamed. Putin himself is immune to criticism, but particularly Medvedev um, is catching a lot of flack, and that going forward, they're going to have to go abandon this sort of one-size-fits-all, United Russia, uh, Russia is great political party. And the only way I see it working is they're going to have to start fragmenting that and and do specialized parties, you know, one appealing to small and medium sized enterprises, one appealing to the pensioners. And we've seen a little bit of that already, or attempts at it. Prokhorov's party in the last elections was supposed mm. to play that role for, for the business. And Prokhorov is as much of uh, the oligarch is as much a, a Kremlin lackey as Zhirinovsky is. Um, but do, do you agree? Do you think that they're actually going to have to? And then that in itself will actually introduce a little bit of plural, plural, pluralism. Uh, if it does happen. Do you see that as a likely scenario? Well, I think it's, it's, it's one of two likely scenarios. I mean, I absolutely agree with you that this current model is proving increasingly unsustainable. And to, and to be perfectly honest, I think they're probably unhappy the fact that they're sort of stuck with having to go the United Russia route this time around. Um, so option one is exactly to, to fragment the, the political system, not least because then no party, let's say, can, can assert much authority and therefore it's just simply a question of just simply move, moving them around. I, I hesitate to call it the Italian model of politics. Um, but nonetheless, you know, that, that, that's one option. And it's worth mentioning that the, the party of Russia's pensioners um, may well get 3% of the vote this time round, which won't get it into Parliament, but will mean for the first time it begins to get state funding. The other option, actually, is to sort of go back to a, you know, a slightly more um, dramatic and, in every sense of the word, um, and potentially risky uh, model, is to actually basically try and have a two-party system whereby you run both parties. Um, and therefore, but again, one way or the other, as you say, some kind of politics has to be crept in because even if this is all stage managed, even if this is all dramaturgia in the Russian sense, um, you, you have to create disagreements. You have to actually be able to give resources to buy off different constituencies. And that creates opportunities for people to say, well, actually, if we can cause enough of a fuss, resources come our way. And that is, after all, the essence of democratic politics. Mm. Mark, we should be watching the elections closely. A great, great pleasure to talk to you as always. Thank you very much. My pleasure.